All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 is where we're going to be this week. It's right where we left off last week, so go ahead and turn there. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, we have some provided in the seats, and if you don't have one back at home, just take that one home. It's our gift to you. We always have scripture on the screen as well. And so we are well into the Christmas season. Christmas is just over a week away. Can you believe it? And some of us, I know, are thoroughly enjoying uh, our Christmas season. Uh, It's supposed to be the happiest season of all. But I also know that others of us maybe are having a hard time during the Christmas season because in my experience and ministering to people, I've learned that what happens around the holidays, especially around Christmas being this kind of prolonged holiday, is that during these holiday seasons, our issues tend to get magnified, don't they? Whatever issue that we have heavy on our heart, it tends to get magnified. That Christmas can kind of be like, instead of the joy that it's intended to be, it can kind of be like a magnifying glass pointed at our issue, and it becomes larger in our hearts and our minds and just heavy on us. So if you have financial issues, obviously Christmas time makes it incredibly difficult with Christmas shopping and uh, party planning and all the expenses that come there just magnifies those things. It might be if you are stressed out, wow, Christmas is a, a stressful season for, for many of us with deadlines and expectations for projects for parents with their, their kids or just planning and all the things that you have to do, you can get stressed out. If you've lost a loved one, Christmas really puts a magnifying glass on that, doesn't it? becomes especially hard knowing that this season you'll, you will go through the season without that loved one. If you have a, a broken relationship, whether it's a, a family member or a divorce or a, a severed relationship with your child, Christmas can be especially hard in that regard. Uh, you can feel kind of lonely. If you uh, maybe want to be in a relationship, you long for companionship, but you're not there, Christmas can, can be especially hard and you feel like you have no one to celebrate the holiday with and you can kind of feel worse. For many people who struggle with depression, Christmas is like this black cloud that just sits on top of you rather than the joy that it's intended to be. And so oftentimes, during the holiday seasons, our issues can get, can get magnified. Uh, for me, I remember one particular Christmas season as a child where that was the case for my family. Uh, my sister had uh, earlier, like in the fall, suffered a, a severe head injury, uh, just really terrible, fractured skull, brain swelling, bruised. It was, it was really, really bad. Lost her memory as a four-year-old girl, and it was really tough. I remember for my family, finances were very tight. I remember there was a lot more drinking than there should be around the home. I remember the stress level in the house. As a child, you could just cut it with a knife. It was just so, so real and so thick, and it just becomes magnified during the, the Christmas season, and instead of being the half happiest season of all, it can be a really, really terrible, challenging, difficult time for, for many people. And so the question is then, how do we handle this? What do we, what do, we, what do, we do? In, in fact, not just during Christmas, but really uh, throughout all of the year, what do we do in our lives when things are incredibly difficult and we're going through a, a challenging time? And what we're doing this this 
this morning is we're going to answer that question. And what we've been doing for the past few weeks is been going through eyewitness testimony uh, together of the, the Christmas story. And so we're doing so by looking at the first couple of chapters of the book of Luke. The book opens up by just giving us some information about its origins. It tells us that this wealthy man uh, who's likely a political leader or, or just some man of high social standing, his name is Theophilus. Uh, we, we know that he's been taught about this Jesus of Nazareth. People are saying that this Jesus of Nazareth is God. People are saying that he's resurrected from the dead. And so Theophilus wants to be certain, and so he hires this man named Luke. Luke is a medical doctor. He's highly educated. He's a gifted writer. He pays careful attention to detail. And Theophilus finds Luke. He hires him. He funds him to uh, pay careful attention to the record of the life and the ministry, the teaching of Jesus. And Luke then spends a substantial time of his life researching this Jesus of Nazareth. And so he would have compiled all kinds of oral tradition. He would have compiled written record about Jesus. He would have interviewed eyewitnesses. He would have corroborated the stories. He would have nailed down the timeline. And then he would determine, okay, here's what's true about this Jesus of Nazareth, and then he would finally bring it all together into this published work, the gospel according to Luke, the life and ministry and message of Jesus according to Luke. We saw last week the first eyewitness that we get in this story is this man, Zechariah. He's from this small town. He's this humble priest probably working a full-time job on top of his pastoral ministry. He's from the hill country of Judea. It's just a small, small little town in the middle of nowhere. He sees the angel Gabriel. Of, of all the angels in the Bible, three are named, Satan, Lucifer, and then the archangel Michael, and then Gabriel. He gets to see one of the big two, right? He gets to see him, and he comes before him, and he says, listen, I know you're old, I know your wife's old, and you're barren, but you're going to have a child. He's going to be John. He's the one who's been prophesied about from long ago. He's great. He's going to be the forerunner to the coming Messiah. And so that first eyewitness is this man, Zechariah, gets this incredible news. This week's eyewitness, as we get into uh, verse 26, is Mary. It comes from Mary, the mother of Jesus, this woman of God, this tremendous example to us of faith and of faithfulness. And so Luke likely would have sat down with her in her now old age and would have interviewed her and we get the story of Christmas, the most amount of, of detail from Luke through Mary. And her story actually begins all the way back in, in Genesis chapter 3. If you remember the story of Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, they turn from God, they turn to sin. God declares his just judgment on them, but God doesn't stop there. He could have said, you, you wronged me, you sinned against me, I made you for uh, enjoying a relationship with me, sorry. But instead, he... He declares his just judgment, but then he also says, I have compassion on you, and he declares their coming salvation. He says to the serpent this, in Genesis chapter 3, 15, here's what he says. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Ladies, anybody hate snakes, right? Prophecy fulfilled right there. I will put enmity between you and the woman, to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So he says to Satan, he says, Satan, you will receive a head wound. That's a fatal blow. I will crush you in Satan and sin and death. And how will I do this? He says, I will do this by her offspring, by the offspring of a woman. That, 
the woman's son will come and he will deliver this, this wound. Theologians call this the proto-evangelion. This means the first gospel. This is the first hint that we get of the good news of Jesus. And who is this woman? And who is this woman's son? History goes on. God speaks to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we get more information about this son, that he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So it's not just any old son. It's God himself becoming a a, a man. And he will crush the enemy. That God will be born into humanity and he will raise up victorious, crushing Satan's sin and death. Then we get more information about this woman from this prophecy. We learn that she will be a, a virgin. And so throughout the years, they're studying the scriptures, they're learning, they're teaching their children about this Emmanuel, God with us, about this virgin that is to come. And then the last page of the Old Testament we get, and then 400 years of silence. There's no prophet, there's no signs, there's no wonder. God is building anticipation for this coming Messiah and virgin mother. Then in Luke chapter 1, the angel, as we saw last week, comes to Zechariah with the news. Your barren old wife is pregnant, and she will have the prophet, the herald, the forerunner to Emmanuel, the Savior, the Messiah. And then Gabriel comes again six months later, and he comes to this woman, this virgin, this Mary. Read with me. one We'll go through 33. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man who was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So, six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, our boy Gabe, the angel Gabriel, shows up again in Nazareth this time to the virgin. Her name is Mary, and this is her eyewitness testimony. She says that Gabriel says to her, Greeting, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And how does Mary respond? Mary responds the same way many people do in the scriptures when they see angels. She's troubled. She's afraid. She's unsure of who this is and what this means, what this message is all about. And then the angel Gabriel responds, and he says, as many angels do, he says, do not be afraid. And he goes on, he tells her, this is good news from the Lord. You have found favor with God. You will have a child. His name shall be Jesus. He will be great, and he will be the son of God. His throne will be the throne of David over all of Israel. His kingdom shall have no end. I mean, this is huge news, right? This is massive news. The long-awaited son, Emmanuel, Messiah, is here. It's time. The long-awaited virgin lady is, is, is Mary. Now, what do we learn about Mary in this passage? If you look closely, 
We, we, we learn, we'll get to our spiritual condition in just a moment, but we learn a lot from two particular pieces of information. First, we see that she is from Nazareth, and we also see that she is betrothed to be married. Those are really important for us. First of all, that she is from Nazareth. Nazareth at that time was just as, as, as in, insignificant as a place could be. Today, it's a, a, a few hundred thousand people, but then it was just an insignificant little place. Archaeological excavations will tell us that this was just this tiny little agricultural town, kind of a, a, a seed farmer kind of village. Maybe, I mean, at best, a, a, a few hundred people. It's on this road in between two cities, Sephoris and Samaria. I remember traveling to and from college as our students are going to do some uh, this week. I remember traveling to and from, from one larger city to another uh, city. And I I just remember along the way, I'd always make stops in certain places and I'd, you know, get my Mountain Dew and a restroom break. And uh, it was Code Red in particular, my my favorite. And I remember, you know, thinking something along the lines of when I'd be in these these, uh, particular areas, these tiny little towns, just, just saying, man, I'm so glad that I don't live here. I'm so glad that my college isn't here. I'm so glad that I'm going another few hundred miles in this direction. That was Nazareth. It was kind of the stop in between the two cities. John chapter 1, verse 46, Nathaniel says, uh, he says this, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, he had that reputation, like, really? Nazareth? Jesus? Can anything good come from, from Nazareth? So we learn that she's from Nazareth, this tiny little working class town full of low-income people. We also hear that she's betrothed to be married to Joseph. So the marriage culture of this day is betrothal, which means uh, if this is a tiny little town that everybody would have known everybody, and her family would have had a relationship with this one particular family, the, the family of Joseph, there's not a lot of options for marriage. Some of you maybe feel that way right now. You're like, oh, not a lot of options for marriage. There's not a lot of options for marriage. So it seemed appropriate. Everybody looked around and they said, this seems like it's going to work. Perhaps these guys knew each other growing up as, as kids. Sounds good. They'll be married. It just makes sense. And the betrothal culture of that day was such that you would pledge yourself to each other, but you would be pledged legally. And so it would be more than an engagement. It would be you were legally pledged. So in order to end that betrothal or that engagement, you would have to get a divorce. So there would start at the betrothal this, this simple little ceremony where the two would come together and be uh, betrothed. It would be kind of commemorated with a, a sip of wine. And they would be betrothed for about a year. They would plan the wedding. Uh, they would make some preparations. And then there would be the wedding ceremony where you'd actually move in together and you would actually physically consummate the marriage, physical intimacy. And in that day, girls would be betrothed somewhere between 12 and 16 years old. It's kind of the average. So Mary, picture this, is likely a middle school or early high school girl betrothed to be married. I could picture her in our day getting off the city bus here or waiting over at Forest Hills Station en route to a part-time job at Dunk's, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, wearing her Uggs in a a simple Dunkin' Donut uniform. She's just a, a, a simple girl. Not this beautiful woman with gold-encrusted you know, headwear like we see on our uh, nativity scenes. She's just a simple girl from a simple town, wearing simple clothes, got a simple future a- ahead of her. She's planning her wedding. She's doing that. She's busy. 
We learn about her, her, her man, Joseph, in other parts of Scripture, Matthew. He's a carpenter, working class kind of guy. I mean, just simple, simple, simple people. And for me, Christmas after Christmas after Christmas, I just can't get away from the fact that this is how God enters into humanity. I mean, right, if it were us, I picture Aladdin. You remember when he walks in, Prince Ali on the elephant, and everybody's singing, and that's what I picture. (laughs) But he comes into this simple little existence, and it tells us a lot about God, doesn't it? Tells us quite a bit about God. See, religion is this. Religion is you work your way up to God. You try to be good enough, which what that does is it breeds arrogant, self-righteous people. Because I've worked my way up to God. I've earned this. This isn't religion we're talking about, the Christian faith. We're talking about the gospel. And the gospel is the opposite of religion. It's not work your way up to God. It's God comes down to us. And he enters into humanity in humility. And he enters into the lowliest of situations. That's our God. Showing us that, listen, nobody is beyond my reach. If you are in here today and you feel like I'm too far gone for God, he says, you are not beyond my reach. If you feel too insignificant to have a role in God's kingdom, he says, not at all. No one is beyond my reach. I come into humanity to the lowliest of places. And you know the rest of the story. The stable, the no room in the end, the, the manger, shepherds. Just lowly, lowly, lowly. And that's how God chooses to do it. It's a wonderful thing. Of all the people he could have chosen, he chooses Mary. Why? What does he say? He says, the angel says to her, he says, you have found favor with God. You know what the word favor means in the original language? It might not be what you're thinking. You are so good, God's favor has come to you. In the original language, the word favor is charis. Have you ever met a Christian who's named their daughter charis? It means grace, literally. Unmerited favor. So not favor like you earned it kind of favor. You're my favorite because you're so sweet. But favor as in unmerited favor. Mary is for us a picture of what God, through Jesus, does for us. That we don't work our way up to him by our good deeds, but he comes to us and he grants us unmerited favor. He enters into humanity, into our sin, and he chooses us not because we deserve it, but because he is good and because he's gracious. And that invitation is granted to you today as well. He comes and he says, hey, I'm offering you unmerited favor if you would trust in my son, Jesus. Let's read on. Look at 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So, Mary asks a clarifying question here. She says, verse 34, How can this be since I am a virgin? Now, you may be thinking, for those of you who were here last week, you may be thinking, well, Zechariah asked a question, and he was made mute. He 
he wasn't allowed to, to talk when he asked the question about Elizabeth's pregnancy. But listen, we need to catch this, that, that Mary's question doesn't have that kind of consequence, no kind of punishment. Because again, if you, if you walk through the language here, you see that Zechariah asks out of unbelief. He's been praying for decades. God answers the, the prayer and he asks for a sign. He asks for proof. Mary, on the other hand, has not been praying particularly for this and this news comes to her and she asks out of belief. She just needs some, some clarification. How's this going to happen? Like, I believe it's going to happen, but how's it going to happen since I am a virgin? And the angel Gabriel says, not you are mute, but you're asking out of belief and just need for clarification. Some of you have been there before. Like God says, here's what I'm calling you to, and you say, that's awesome. I'm excited. Yes, but I'm not quite sure how that's going to take place. I don't know how you're going to provide for that financially. I don't know if anybody else is going to understand. Whatever it looks like for you. It's okay to ask clarifying questions, but do so out of belief like Mary does. And he says, here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Now, I want to make sure that we get the theological significance of this. So, ever since the sin of Adam and Eve, Scripture will tell us that we inherit a sin nature or a sinful disposition that is passed down through the line of man, generation to generation through the man. And since Jesus was conceived miraculously without a man, he was able to be fully human, but without a a sin nature. And so John, for example, of Zechariah and Elizabeth, God did a great miracle there, and she became pregnant. But he used Zechariah and Elizabeth in their old age coming together. But in this particular situation, she was betrothed, and they were not physically together, and the Holy Spirit causes this miracle to happen. So Gabriel explains to her, here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will be with child. His name will be Jesus. He also tells her about her Elizabeth, uh, her relative Elizabeth, uh, who is the wife of Zechariah. says she's also going to be pregnant by a miracle of God. So both of you are pregnant. And he says, here's why. What does he say? 37. He says, because nothing, nothing is impossible with God. One of the great truths of the Bible, that nothing is impossible with God. Let me tell you this. When, when something in your life, or even something in Scripture, seems like unbelievable, that's, that's impossible. The question is never, is it possible? You shouldn't look around and say, well, could God have really made that? Could God really do this? Could that really have happened? Could a sea really have been parted? That's not the question, right? The question is, is there a God? And if there is a God, of course it's possible. God can do anything by the very nature of being God. So don't get hung up on the details, like how could that? No, it's possible if God is real. If you believe in God, anything is possible. Which is why I don't understand how people can say, I believe in this miracle, but I don't believe in that. I believe God could do this one, because it seems a little more simple. Could you do it? If you couldn't do it and needed a God to do it, then he can do this as well, because nothing is impossible with God. Now, all of this is a lot to take on if you're a middle school girl, right? All of this is a lot to take on if you're not a middle school, but if you're a middle school girl, this is exciting news, right? I mean, how amazing is this news? I'm going to have the Christ. I'm going to have the Messiah. I'm the prophesied virgin that I learned about in Sunday school or synagogue school. What a privilege. 
right? It's this massive act of God's grace. Mary gets to be a part of it. But don't miss out on this is also massively challenging, right? I mean, just incredibly challenging for this young girl. Don't get lost in the glitz of the nativity scene, but also be careful to see that this is really, really challenging for her. Let me just paint some of the realities if we can think about this together. So you're a middle school girl one day, and the next day you're a pregnant middle school girl. That's a big life change. You're planning your wedding. The next day you're planning your pregnancy and how to be a parent to God. She has to tell her parents this news. In middle school, I was afraid to tell my parents uh, that I had a bad grade on the report card, right? She has to tell her parents that she's pregnant. She has to tell Joseph, I'm pregnant. Joseph, before you say anything, uh, it's a miracle. Come on. Matthew tells us that Joseph had planned to divorce her. So betrothal was legally binding, as I said before. And so in order to end it, you had to ask for a a divorce. So it was clear if he's planning to divorce her, he did not believe her. He assumed that she was an adulterer, that she was with someone else. In that culture, she would have been stoned to death, potentially, or at the least, put dirty garments on her, put her in the public square, humiliate her, potentially beat her, call her names, making a lesson of her before other ladies. That's what she has to go through. Matthew chapter 1 tells us that Joseph had compassion on her. He didn't believe her, but he had compassion. He didn't want to shame her, and so he planned to divorce her and to divorce her quietly until Matthew chapter 1 will tell us that an angel appears to him him as, as well and says, here's this miracle that has taken place. And then Joseph, good man, man of God, marries her. Very quickly. Imagine what this girl is, is going through. The story goes on. We get into the life and ministry of Jesus. We learn that the townspeople did not believe this whole situation. Through Jesus' ministry, we hear people say things like, hey, at least we know who our daddy is. So people didn't believe Mary's story. She lived her life with the stigma that was huge in that culture. Can you imagine the, the shame that this woman had throughout her entire life? I mean, it's such a, a crazy story. Mary, do you really think that this virgin, that this Emmanuel would come to our town? Are you crazy? What are you thinking? Nice try, Mary. Tell us the truth. You little fill in the blank. That's what she would have heard time and time and time and time again. See, it's not as cute as the nativity scenes depict. It would have been incredibly difficult for her. Yet, in light of these realities, how does Mary respond? Look at verse 38. She responds with, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary's response is beautiful, isn't it? She's, yeah, this is going to be hard, but my life is not my own. I am a servant of God. What if we endured life's challenges in this way? Not woe is me. Oh, come on, God. Why do you want to 
teach me this lesson or why do you want to do this work in my family through my perseverance? But if we just said, God, I trust you. If it's for your glory, I will endure. I'm in. I'm your servant, whatever it takes. Let's do this. Listen, the Bible never calls us to venerate Mary and to worship her or to pray to her. But the Bible does show us that she is a powerful example of a woman of God. She is blessed among women. She's a strong example of of faithfulness. Now, listen to her next move. Read with me 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Mary receives this this news about her child and this news about her relative Elizabeth's child and she rushes. It says she goes with haste to go to Elizabeth in the hill country of Judah. Now, her trek does several things. Her going to the hill country and we can speculate. We don't get a lot of information here but we can speculate that her trek, one, does this. It removes Mary from the shame and the, the difficulty in Nazareth. Not that she's going to be forever removed, but in the early days of her pregnancy, it removes her from that. It also allows her to get to be with Elizabeth, really the only person in her life who can really understand, because she too has a conception miracle that she is living. And then the third thing it allows her to do is it allows her to be with Mary or with Elizabeth during her pregnancy. Elizabeth's already an older woman. She's carrying a child. She wants to be extremely careful. So, ladies, if some of you have been pregnant, you understand, I don't want to lift heavy things during pregnancy. If you're you're old and you're carrying the forerunner to the Messiah, you want to be extremely cautious. So Mary's likely doing laundry, preparing meals, likely was there at the the delivery. And and Gabriel came uh, to Mary It says in in Elizabeth's sixth month, verse 56 then uh, goes on and says that Mary was there for three months after the sixth month. And so that tells us that Mary is with Elizabeth through her third and final trimester, very crucial season of the pregnancy, likely there at the birth of John. Now, what happens when Mary first shows up to see Elizabeth? It says she walks into Zechariah and Elizabeth's house, And she's calling for Elizabeth. And it says that John, within Elizabeth's womb, leaps inside of her. Leaps with inside of her. And let me just, as an aside here, twice it says the what inside of her womb? The baby inside of her womb. So why do Christians say we we do not believe abortion is appropriate? That that is a human being. That is a murder. Why do we believe that? The Bible makes it very clear. That is a baby inside of you. That is a... That is a human being. That is a life. The Bible is very clear on that one. Twice, the baby with inside of her. But we see that there's this incredible, amazing connection between John, who's inside of Elizabeth, and Christ, Jesus, who's inside of Mary. That 
John would prophesy, John would proclaim the arrival of Jesus and that their, their ministries would be inextricably linked together. Right? We later see when John is beheaded in his, uh, the tail end of his ministry, he's beheaded and, and we see Jesus go off to a secluded place. He, he withdraws and he's probably praying and sobbing and broken. They have this connected ministry. And so the unborn baby leaves in Elizabeth's womb. And then it says that Elizabeth cries out with a loud voice. She's full of the Holy Spirit. See, before Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes upon Christians, there are times that we read through the Scripture where the Holy Spirit comes upon believers and fills them and does unique things through them. And this is prior to Pentecost. And so the Holy Spirit comes, fills Elizabeth, and she prophesies. And she prophesies. There are times in the Scripture where, where prophecy can appear as just simply declaring the truth of God like a prophet of the Old Testament. There are other times where prophecy appears like speaking something that you have no way of knowing, but the Holy Spirit, God, has made this known to you. Both apply here. She's speaking the truth of God, but she's also speaking something that she had no way of knowing because Mary has yet to say, I'm pregnant. But she starts to prophesy and declare, Mary, you are blessed. And she also declares, the baby inside of you is my Lord. That Mary is blessed for finding God's favor. Mary is blessed for believing Gabriel, unlike my husband, Zechariah. Elizabeth says, the baby is my Lord. Now, let's go back to putting yourself in Mary's shoes. Imagine if you're Mary and you catch this news. You hear this prophecy. I mean, imagine that trek from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea to see Elizabeth. It's at least one week's journey. That's a lot of time to think about what the angel Gabriel told you. So naturally, she would have been thinking on the implications of this pregnancy, of this miraculous conception. She would have thought about what her parents are thinking. She would have thought about what Joseph is thinking. She would have thought about what her Friends are thinking. She would have thought about the shame that she's going to have to deal with in Nazareth. She would have thought, will Joseph ever believe me? Will the the shame of adultery ever be lifted? Or will it stick with me all the days of my life? Will I be stoned to death when I return? If not stoned, will I be beaten and humiliated when I return? Will I ever have a friend? Will I be lonely throughout the rest of my life? Am I going to be a bad mother for God? I mean, all these questions I would imagine would go through her head in a week of travel. Without a husband, how could I ever afford to raise a child? All these questions going through her head on this journey. But the second, after all those questions, she walks into the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth see her, and Elizabeth prophesies over her and says, this child is in fact the Lord. You are in fact blessed. How comforting and how assuring and how amazing must that have been for Mary. And how does Mary then respond? Verse 46 through 55, she responds with a song. She starts to sing. She's filled with joy and she starts to worship. I just picture my my sweet little two and a half year old daughter, Nora, When she's excited about something, she sticks both of her arms out. She starts spinning in circles with her dress flowing around and just starts making up songs and just singing. Love that. And I just picture Mary, just the overflow of her heart, just genuine joy, just singing and worshiping. 
Read with me 46 through 56. Here's her song. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked in the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and his holy name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has, a, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. So Mary is so full of joy she just bust out in song. Last Christmas, my, my in-laws announced to my children for their Christmas present that they were going to be sending us to Disney World. And my boys busted out in dance and in song. And they were going, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And that was their song, just oh yeah. It was, it was awesome. They were just so excited. Mary just breaks out in song and joy and she just overflows. Now here's where it all kind of comes back to where we, where we started. That for us, Christians, and and even non-Christians, that Christmas, for us, we can really see our our issues, our challenges, our struggles, our our difficulties, our trials, they they can really become magnified during the Christmas season. And they just become more visible, don't they, during the holidays? And we can focus on our issues, and we can dwell on our issues, and we can play repeat on our issues over and over and over and over in our lives mind and and just magnify our issues and make them incredibly large and mary had issues right she had challenges in front of her i mean serious difficulty in front of her but instead of magnifying her issues what does mary do verse 46 my soul will magnify the lord rather than magnifying my issues i'm going to magnify the lord rather than focusing on my struggles i'm going to focus on my savior verse 47 my spirit rejoices in god my savior Listen, for us, whether it's this season or throughout the rest of our lives, you can magnify your issues or you can magnify your Lord. That is a decision that you need to choose to make. That rather than magnifying my issue, I'm going to magnify my Lord. And I want you to hear me in in all sincerity. I am not trying to trivialize your issues and, and, and your struggles. It's hard. It's hard. I get it. Life is very challenging. I'm not the guy. I don't want to be the the Christian guy who just says, you know, don't worry, just worship. Just make it real trite. Just kind of give you pat answers. What I'm saying is, if you will fix your eyes on this, on the goodness and the, the grace and the might and the power and the glory and the majesty of the Lord, you're going to begin to have your heart full of joy as you see him and his work and his characteristics And you start to see the other stuff that seems so heavy on the earth starts to diminish, and he becomes huge. And so as we close, I just I want us to see just just we're just gonna walk quickly through the line by line of the song. I just want to see how Mary does this. Watch how she she magnifies the Lord. She puts a magnifying glass on God's work and on God's character. Look at verse 47. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She magnifies salvation. Right? Even Mary needed a Savior, by the way. Mary did have sin, we know, because Scripture right here, she says, 
God is my Savior. I need saving as well. God is my Savior. She magnifies that. He saved me from sin. He's a good God. I need him. She magnifies, verse 48, his impartiality. Look at verse 48. She says, For he has looked on even the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. He's, he's impartial. He, he didn't go to the rich and say, well, I'm going I'm to go to the rich. No, he came to even me. She magnifies the impartiality of, of the Lord. Look at verse 48. Magnified uh, favor, the second half. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. God's favor is upon me. People for, for the rest of history are going to say, I, I'm blessed. Because God opposes the proud. God gives grace to the humble. God's favor is upon me. Look at verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Magnifies God's might, the power and the prestige of God. He is mighty, right? Keep going. Uh, There he says, verse 49, he has done great things for me. Magnifies the relationship that she has with God. Like of all people, God, God will have a relationship with me. She says, that's incredible. What a powerful, amazing gift. She goes on, verse, verse 49, in his holy name, right? That God is holy. She magnifies his holiness. That God is so otherly, so beyond me, so amazing. He's so perfect. She magnifies that. She puts the magnifying glass on that. Verse 50, she magnifies his mercy. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You know what mercy is? is when God withholds his wrath. She's saying we deserve the wrath of God because we have sinned against God. But for those who fear him and see him as God, he pulls back, he withholds his wrath and grants mercy. 51. 51. He has shown strength with his arm. She magnifies his strength. God, you are, you are strong. You are so strong. You are so mighty. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Just have this picture of God, the chess set. He just wipes, he just scatters the proud. He is so strong. Let me ask you guys this. Is there anything in your life today that you need God to flex in? You need God's strength in? Mary is saying he is strong. Nothing is impossible with God. Look at verse 52. She says, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Here's what she's doing now. She's magnifying the grace of God, that he would exalt the lowly. Because she would be what? Not full of grace. She would have been full of disgrace. She would have been disgraced when she goes home. Shame upon her. And God says, no, grace for you. I exalt those who are, are humble. I exalt those who are humble. Some of you in here today, you feel shame for your past. God says, in Jesus, clean slate. Clean slate. God removes your shame. And Mary acknowledges that. He exalts the lowly. Verse 53. He's filled the hungry with good things. She's magnifying the provision of God. That God will provide. That God will feed the hungry. Scripture will tell us that he's like a good father who gives good gifts to his children. Some of you in here, you haven't had a good father. You have no example of that in your life. 
God is the perfect father. He wants to give good gifts to his children. She acknowledges that. He provides for the hungry. The second half of 53, and the rich he has sent away empty. So he's saying, I'm going to magnify God's justice, that the rich, the people who, who are, are getting rich through wicked gain, like in her day and age, Rome, they were taxing these poor people to no end so that Herod could build these great things so that he could exercise megalomania and just be this maniac building and building and building when people can't pay it. And she says, all these rich are wicked, but this, as she sings here, she declares that the rich he has sent away empty. Notice that, though this has not yet happened, she says it as if it already has happened. The promises of God are as good as done in Mary's eyes. It's done. God says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. She magnifies his help. Some of you need God's help today. And God says, you acknowledge me. You fear me. Connection with mercy again. If you fear me, I will help you. I am with you. She magnifies that. He, he has helped Israel. In verse 55, and he has, as he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring and forever. So she's talking about the past, Abraham, and she's talking about the future, forever, that God is always faithful. God is always faithful. That's the big zinger at the end of the song, the big closing line. God is faithful. And in verse six, 56, Mary remains, it says, for about three months through the final trimester of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And I would imagine Elizabeth would deliver and Mary would return home. And she returns to the challenges of the name-calling, of the shame, of a labor, the delivery. And we know challenges that she does not at this point in time know that she's going to endure. But she will endure. Why? Because she's going to keep magnifying her Lord. We'll see next week in the story of the shepherds that she's looking at the Lord, praising God for what he has done. You can magnify your issues. You can dwell on your issues, and they become bigger than they need to be. Or you can dwell on a very big God. And the things of earth, as the song says, grow strangely dim in light of his glory. And that's what we need to do. Same goes for every single one of us, that we can endure the difficult situation that you're in. You can endure this life that is very hard. Harder for some of you than others. I get that. Harder for many of you than it is for me. I get that. But you can endure if you will develop a practice of dwelling on the Lord, magnifying the Lord and not the issue. Magnify the Savior, not the struggle. God's constantly saying, listen, praise me. Give thanks. Acknowledge what I've done. Because in so doing, you fix your eyes on me. And those heavy things in your life are lifted. They're not as heavy because you see how strong I am. And the challenges of life that seem so big compared to a really big God seem tiny. Just seem tiny. You can endure. And so I want to close today in two ways. First of all, Some of us in here today for the very first time need to see ourselves in Mary's situation. We need to see God's unmerited favor and grace that comes on us if we too would believe. 
if we would say yes to Jesus, we would acknowledge our sin and our need for a Savior, and we would turn from sin, and we would turn to him, and we would trust in what he has done. Jesus goes on to die on a cross, taking the penalty for our sin. He dies, he's buried. Three days later, he's resurrected, as has been prophesied about, so that if we can look to him and we would trust in him, we can be made right with God. The punishment has been paid. It's been laid on Christ. That's the good news of Jesus. That's the message. Not that you were good enough, but that he was good enough. Undeserving of death, but he laid down his life and he died for us. Some of you today, you need to receive that. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't mean that if you just say, Jesus, you're good. It means that if you call upon him, you say, I really believe you. I really need you. I really turn from sin. I really turn to you. He says, you will be saved. You will be made right with God. You receive eternity with the Lord. You become a Christian. Others of us in here today, we need to, we need to magnify the Lord. We just haven't been magnifying the Lord. We've been dwelling on the issue. I'm an anxious person, so I'm speaking from firsthand experience, just struggle with just focusing on the challenge, just getting really worked up and anxious about it. But I'm constantly, constantly quoting Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, constantly being thankful, constantly acknowledging who God is and what he's done, then those things start to seem really small. Some of us today need to magnify the Lord like Mary. And we're going to close as we always do in singing. And I want to encourage you to sing and to focus on the goodness and the grace of God. Maybe some of these things that Mary praised God for, you can praise God for. That he is mighty, that he's been gracious to give you a relationship. That he is holy, that his strength can be flexed in your life. That he's provided for you, that he is just, that he's your help. That he's always faithful even when you're faithless. Magnify him, praise him, fix your eyes on him. Let me pray. God, this is your word and we are so thankful much like Mary, that you would deliver us your word, that we could hear from you. And God, we just, we pray that if there's anybody in this room today who does not know Jesus, I pray that they would call upon you and be saved. That they would trust in you and not in themselves. And they could be made right with God. They could become a Christian. I pray that they would then have boldness to tell somebody. Tell us and let us know and we can pray for them and help them in growing. God, I also pray for people today who have got issues, we've got things in our lives that are really challenging. God, I pray that we would look to you. We would cast our cares on you for you care for us and then we would just fix our eyes on you. We would think on you. We would do that in song. We would do that in tangible ways. Maybe go home and write down the good things that you have done. Answers to prayer. Think on how you have shown yourself true and powerful in our lives. We would write out your characteristics. We'd pray your characteristics. We would pray God-centered prayers as we talked about in Nehemiah. Because in so doing, our issues, they're lightened. And you want that for us. Remember, we live not just during Christmas, this kind of life, but we always live this kind of life. And we focus our eyes on Jesus. We'll receive this song as worship. Receive our week that we're entering into as worship. 
We want to live lives that honor you. Help us in that, Father. Help us to press on in faithfulness as you are faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.